greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Man, it's great to worship Jesus Christ, right? He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of losing your voiceover. He's, he's everything to us, and that's why we're here to celebrate. Praise our incredible God. So thank you guys for just making Sunday morning such an awesome time to come and gather together as the called out ones, the ones that God has chosen to, to worship him. And we come here just to celebrate God's grace. So thank you guys so much for that. Uh, we had a, a we began a series in the book of Galatians, and we, we hit pause on that briefly for the snow. And uh, last week was a very, very special week. We wanted to, to pause on that for just a moment. We, even in the middle of a series, we really feel strongly that we want to stay in tune with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And, and we felt like uh, the best thing was to wait just a minute. But now we are diving back into Galatians. So go ahead and turn to chapter 3. I hope you're ready to go because I've had three full weeks to work on this, all right? <laughs> so it'll be extra confusing. Hopefully not. But I'm, I'm trusting that God is going to speak to us. I've really enjoyed soaking in this, and I, I pray that it will be a benefit to you. Uh, we're in the middle of our series, Freedom in Christ, and that's kind of the thing. We're realizing that Galatians is all about freedom. It's all about grace, and we're understanding Paul's passion for this as you read it. But in case you weren't here for those early weeks, let me give you a quick summary. Galatians is this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in the region of Galatia. And he'd gone on a mission trip, and it ended up being to about four churches in this region of Galatia. And he went to proclaim the gospel everywhere he went. So it ended up being a very intense, effective mission trip for Paul as he went. He started off in Antioch, okay, where he preached the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles, and he presented, when he went, he presented Jesus, the Messiah, his sacrificial death, his burial, and his resurrection, and he preached that Jesus, in Jesus, Christ alone was salvation, and that salvation came by grace through faith, not by good works, okay? This is a very different uh, understanding of the gospel for a lot of these people. Salvation was a free gift. To all who would put their faith in Jesus. Well, naturally, this upset the Jewish uh, community and those who were even Jewish believers who had converted and become Christians. Remember, they spent their entire lives essentially feeling superior to the people around them because they were God's chosen people who kept the law. They were the circumcised, chosen people of God. And suddenly, the gospel, this is crazy what the gospel does, the gospel put everyone on equal footing immediately. Everyone on equal footing. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. But it felt unnatural for some of these Jewish believers, if you can imagine, to stop eating kosher, all right? To start eating with Gentiles who they had called dogs their entire life. This was a massive shift in their social life, in their, their food. Everything was, was moving. And so it felt unnatural. Paul could relate to this because Paul was both a Jew and a Gentile. He had a Jew with Roman citizenship. And so he's functioning, well, not technically he can't be a Jew and a Gentile, but he worked in both of those worlds. You get that, right? He was a Jewish man, but he also was a Roman citizen, and he kind of moved freely uh, back and forth. And so he could relate as a, a Jew who was a Pharisee, and he'd become a Christian in the meantime. 
And so Paul, being a Jew, had put his confidence when he was a Pharisee in his flesh, right? The confidence came from his genealogy. It came from his circumcision and his diligent keeping of the law. That's how the Pharisees sort of operated. But after Paul was converted, Paul began to consider all those things, all that exterior stuff, rubbish, that he might know Jesus, that he might follow Jesus. And instead of putting his confidence in the flesh, he began to put his confidence in the grace of God through faith in Jesus. And so uh, as he started off at Antioch, you can see that there, there was this shift. And uh, the Jews, initially people received it well, but the Jews started riots and began chasing him from city to city. He goes from Antioch and eventually Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe and ends up almost being stoned to death because the, the people, the Jews, who wanted to put everybody back into Judaism, they called them Judaizers, wanted to come in and corrupt the gospel and present maybe a, a hybrid version of the gospel or put people back under the law. And uh, what Paul wrote this letter to these people in Galatia, which is a region where all those four churches that he went on this mission trip, Paul writes this letter to that group of people, and he's, he's saying, I want you to continue in grace. Don't, don't begin with grace and then shift back to the law. Continue in grace. And Paul never backed down from that his entire ministry. He never wanted them to contaminate the gospel. So in the first couple chapters that we've been studying, Paul has been urging them to continue in grace, recognizing that the enemy never stops trying to contaminate grace. All right, the stakes are incredibly high because the gospel, we say this word a lot, but it's the good news that points us to our salvation in Jesus. And uh, Paul defines it, in case you're not familiar with this word or, or heard it as a genre of music, the gospel, uh, the gospel good news means a little more than that. Paul wrote in his letter to Timothy, he wrote in 2 Timothy, uh, this is chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, and then I'll skip forward to chapter 2, verse 8, but this, let's hear this. He says to Timothy, therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. This is Paul speaking. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us into a holy calling, not because of our works, get that? But because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? And, and skipping ahead, remember, he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. He's like, don't forget the gospel that I preached to you. This is the gospel that Paul taught to the Galatians. And they had believed it. They, they received it. They realized they were powerless to save themselves. And they deserved the wrath of God. But the way of salvation was through Jesus. And we, we, as we summarize, we, we got this. That this salvation comes through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. That's the true gospel. And that's how it all began. But here's the thing, as we kind of pick up today. God doesn't stop with just saving us. He doesn't stop with just our justification. That's what that means. Make, giving us right standing with God. God desires to make us like Jesus. He's trying to transform us into the image of his son. So salvation is the beginning. And so we get this, that they're, they're understanding this. They're seeing that there's a need to continue growing in the faith. And when that need presents itself, they're starting to look beyond grace to find some other thing to add to grace. 
And that's where the struggle kind of begins. And, and I, I don't know about you, but that's the, that's the issue here, was that they had stopped relying on the Spirit of God who saved them to grow in their faith, in their weakness, and started relying on works of the law to continue in their faith. They, they came to Christ through the Spirit of God, and they wanted to perfect it themselves. Do you see the difference? And so Paul immediately jumps in and wants to challenge them with that. Now, why are we preaching this today? Why is this so important? Because, you guys, we struggle with this, too. We deal with this. And, and here's a difficult challenge with this passage and this whole text, because it kind of keeps going over a lot of the same things. And I feel like if, if I were to put a document out in the middle of the room, and it said that we were saved in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone, I put it right there on the middle of the table, a document, and ask you to sign it. If it stated that, that you know, we're saved by grace and not by works of the law, that we're blessed because of God's grace, not by human effort. If I put all that down, I dare say that virtually all of you would walk right over without hesitation and sign that document. Because most of you, that just resonates in your heart. You believe that. I'm talking really passionately right now, so you're like, it must be true. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm always compare this with the Word of God. But I honestly think... That most of you guys, that's where you've come from. That's, that's where you're at. That's what you believe. But the problem is, even though we agree with this in theory, a lot of times when we begin to work this out in our life, the way that we behave betrays what we believe. And, and I, I think it ultimately, how we behave reveals what we really believe. Even though on paper, we sign a theological document, a lot of times we find that we are going back to rely on other things. Our understanding of the gospel on paper is usually not a fault. It, the problem comes when we work this out in our lives. So it might not be a heretic in your thinking, but in your behavior, it might be. And so I, I realize that there is danger here for us abandoning the gospel. And, and I'll say this right on the front end. There's a danger here that you, you would listen with a, the intent to find a loophole. And if you do, some of what I say may be difficult to hear, and you may want to misuse that and use it for your own benefit. This is a complex passage, and this is why you need to make sure that you keep coming, because you're going to hear balance. Uh, as we continue on through uh, the book of Galatians, and we get into the application of this, you see uh, later in, in the, the book of Galatians, Paul points back and he says, hey, if you sow in the Spirit, you will reap in the Spirit. If you sow in the flesh, you will reap in the flesh. So how you behave definitely impacts your experience in your walk with Christ. So you need to understand that there needs to be a progression in your behavior, and, and what we don't want you to hear is that that's not going to require any effort from you, and that the Christian life is about believing uh, all the right things and laying on the couch and doing nothing, all right? That's, that's not what this passage is trying to say. What we are trying to say with this passage is that the Christian life means believing all of the right things, and as you, as you believe uh, that, that Jesus Christ is, is the way of salvation, and that he has rescued you, that he puts his spirit inside of you, and he begins to transform you from the inside out. And then you will begin to behave like Jesus over time. He transforms you and makes you like his son. That will require your participation. It will require your effort. And not a small amount of effort. But that effort will come from the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. Not from you gritting your teeth and deciding you're going to do something. You're not going to be able to do it on your own any more than you were able to save yourself on your own outside of the Spirit of God. You understand? So please don't, don't take this too far and hear by the end of this message that the Christian life is about laying on the couch, all right, and just not doing anything. Uh, it is about grace-empowered effort. That's, that's the difference. And so I say that as a caveat, but you've got you've to figure this out. And, and here's 
my big question as Paul presents this as we deal with this passage. He says, essentially, what are you relying on when you pursue, pursue maturity? God's best, his, his blessing, his presence in your life. What is it that you're relying on to cause that to happen? And Paul presents two options as he does this. And the first one is the correct one. It's grace, right? It's grace. It's the spirit of God. Later in Galatians, we're going to read more and more about what it means to walk the crucified life in, in, in yielding to the spirit, the spirit-empowered life, walking in the spirit. That's what he calls us to do. It's still walking. It's not laying on the couch in the spirit. It's still walking. It's still putting one foot in front of the other. There's still motion. There's still action. All these things are taking place. But the, the, the thing that we rely on is the grace of God and the spirit of God in us. It gives us a new nature and leads to an empowered, transformed life. Now, the second option that he presents is the law, right? And the law he connects with the flesh because the law gives us this list of rules and expectations and and we're used to those, so we can see that, and so we grit our teeth, and we try and make our do stuff, make ourselves do stuff that we don't want to do, right? And we try and stop doing things that we really do want to do. And when you obey the law, there's this conflict with yourself because your heart's not changed. If you rely on the law, you're constantly going to be fighting against what you really want to do. Do you see the deal? And that's, that's all the law is able to do is reveal our desperate need for a Savior, the law exposes our sinfulness and our inability to save ourselves and our inability to transform ourselves. We desperately need God's grace, his spirit inside us to work that. So if you're relying on self-will, if you're relying on checklists, if you're relying on uh, something else, you know, maintain your salvation by your works. If that's what you're relying on, then that's not going to be enough. You're going to need Jesus. And so here's the deal. Which, which two options which of these options are you going to choose? The Galatians chose to go back to the law. After experiencing and tasting the grace of God, they wanted to go back to the law. And here's the deal. They could not believe. It was too good to be true. They couldn't believe that God would just give them that much grace, that much blessing, that much love. And here's the deal. Receiving grace from God is humbling. It really is. Receiving grace, really, really receiving grace is humbling. Because you realize that you couldn't earn it. You have to admit that you couldn't make it on your own. It's un-American. <laughs> right? It's un-American to admit you don't need, or that you, that you need help, right? It's human nature. We want to prove our worth. We want to earn it. We're going to show God he made a good decision in saving us, right? And, and some of that's from a good attitude. I don't want to just slam that. But if you begin to rely on all of that as in your flesh, man, it's, it's not going to be enough. To receive God's grace, you have to admit that you can't. You really can't. And that's a tough realization because we want to think, well, I need God's grace to help me over the hump. I about got it. I just need God's grace for a little push, right? And what God is saying is, no, you have committed treason. And that's the path that you are on. You were dead, and I made you alive. And you couldn't do anything to make that happen. And the very same thing, I'm going to transform you. And that's going to be from my power. And it's, it's so important. So let's read this text. We are saved by grace. We're sanctified by grace. We receive the spirit by grace. We receive blessings and miracles by grace. We learn to obey him by his grace. We will be raised in heaven by God's grace. We receive our glorified bodies by God's grace. And we will reign with him by God's grace. So that's, that's the deal. So uh, let's read Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. It says this. 
He says, oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> I love that, right? It translates, you idiots. Um, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's this sense that it's like, they, they put some kind, of ur, some kind of curse on you. You go back and read writings during this time, and in this region, there was this fear of somebody putting the evil eye on you, some stank eye, right? And it would, it would convey some sort of supernatural power. And that's what Paul's kind of referring back to. He's like, who is it that's come in and put that evil eye on you? Who has transformed your understanding of the gospel? It's like a spell has been cast on you. You've been bewitched. I was there. You were fine. And then some supernatural power maybe has convinced you that what I said wasn't enough? Like, what's going on? You're starting to say, I told you this was wrong, right? Paul goes in and he's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Listen to what Paul appeals to. He's like, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And what he's appealing to is he's saying, when I was there, it was right in front of you where I, I showed you, I put it up on a billboard for you to see the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. Like you saw the gospel right in front of you. You couldn't have been displayed any more clearly to you. And then he begins to, to grill them like a lawyer. Paul the lawyer comes out. Here he goes. He says, let me only ask you this. You hear the sarcasm? This, Do you did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. He says this, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Wow, I was tempted to go much further with this, but we're going to stop right here. We're just going to break down this little chunk because I think this really helps us a ton. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is this deal. Uh, this is the admonition. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> don't, that's what Paul said. Don't be a fool. Don't be foolish to, to receive the grace of God and then want to return back to the law. To, to receive the pure gospel and then want to go find a hybrid of it in order to perfect your walk with God. So here's, here's what we're in, the middle of the spiritual battle where I believe our enemy is, is trying to distort the Christian's understanding of the gospel. Every one of us, he's trying to distort our understanding of this. On the daily, he is doing this, which is why you need to be reminding yourself of what the gospel says all the time in your life. You need to be reading the word of God, soaking in what God says about you, who he is, and all these things, because the enemy loves to come in to distort. And here's the thing. He knows if he can distort your understanding of the, the gospel, he can put you, he can isolate you, and you'll begin to operate in your flesh. And instead of God receiving glory from your life, you will rob him of the glory trying to do it on your own. And in the end, you're going to fail anyway, and he'll have the last laugh. So listen, here's the deal. All distortions of the gospel rob God of glory by giving glory to man. All distortions of the gospel do that. And, and that's because the same enemy is behind him, right? Satan is behind that. He's the one who robbed God of worship. So false gospels elevate man, and they promote works. And the result is bondage. It, it's, it's failure. But the true gospel, instead of elevating man and promoting works, the true gospel elevates God 
and produces worship in our hearts. And the result of that is good works, right? That our, our good works shine like lights of the world, that they see with good works and glorify our Father in heaven, not us. That's Jesus' intention when we begin to operate the way he wants us to. So Paul calls them foolish for believing the lies of the Judaizers. And Paul asks, who cast a spell on you? And he asked them why they were so foolish to, to turn back to the flesh. And, and the answer, the, the Galatians answer was, was, yes, we are so foolish to do that. That is what they did. They were guilty of this. And as I've sort of pondered this and wanted to try and apply this into my life over the last few weeks, I, I kind of asked myself the question, Eric, are you so foolish to begin by the grace of God and, and then try and perfect uh, your faith through works? And, and as I, I consider that, I think, I can think of seasons in my life where that was true. Especially early on in my relationship with God. I think I felt like I was, when I was born again, when, when Christ saved me, I was completely aware of my unworthiness before God. I think as I came to Christ, I realized my sinfulness and my desperate need for salvation. And it was easy to receive the grace of God initially, that, that he loved me, that he saved me as I was, even though I had been a rebel against God, that he had saved me from my sin and brought me into a new relationship with him. It was easy to receive that grace, but as the days went by, I found myself going through this, especially as a young person, wanting to prove myself. And, and I think that, as on the whole, Christians go through an experience where we try and do this on our flesh, where we depend on our flesh. We want to perfect Christianity. We, we go to uh, pridefully depending on our flesh, our strong resolutions, and our work ethic, and uh, we try and do it on our own. But from my experience, <laughs> it didn't take that long for me to come to the end of that. When I gave it a good shot, I began to realize, man, I got no shot at doing this on my own. I realized I couldn't. I mean, I remember as a Christian going to the Lord and being like, I can't stop this. I can't start this. And even though that some of the things I'm getting right, my heart's not where it needs to be. I remember going on a mission trip with some of my friends, and I was doing all the right things, but I saw a love flowing out of them that was not in my heart. And it didn't matter how well I was working my little checklist and my discipleship thing. God needed to do something in me, and it produced this, this desperate urgency to figure out how God could change me. And I began pursuing a lot of these things and these truths and these passages helped me come to a place where I realized that I really couldn't change myself. And then I had to go just like I received the gospel and lay myself at the cross and be like, if you can't change me, I'm not going to change. Like, if you don't come and wreck me and rebuild me, there's nothing going to change in my life. I want to change. I'm ready. I'm yielding to you. Let your spirit do what it wants to do in me. And as I began to admit that I couldn't and that he could, there was a new power that came in my life. And as I've circled back, and I've circled back through times where I've begun to depend on the flesh. It's like that power sort of gets sapped. And all of a sudden it becomes about me. My eyes get off of the Lord. Listen, God desires to empower us to walk in him. But I think a lot of us are bewitched. And in 2020, how does this happen? How does it happen that in 2020 we are still bewitched by the gospel? Well, here's the thing. Or the false gospels. And I, I think really many are accepting a hybrid version of the gospel. Because it's like you can glorify God a little bit and me too, right? I can, I can show you how great I am too. And so I, I want a little of both. I don't want to say I'm saved by works because that would be silly. But, you know, it's kind of me and God. Like we're getting it, we're getting it done. Look at us, right? <laughs> Glory to us, right? And that's sort of the hybrid gospel. 
is what Satan's been doing since Genesis chapter 3, right there in the garden, right? Satan comes out and he convinced, he convinced a man in paradise, in Eden. Not an easy job, right? He convinces a man in paradise that God's holding out on him. How did he do that? He's like, did God really say he's holding back on you? If you'll eat this fruit, then you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. And you'll be like God. You'll have control. You'll be empowered. No longer will you have to wait for him. You can have everything that you need. That you, independent of God, right? And that's the thing. And so Adam and Eve realized they could get all the things that the enemy suddenly told them that they needed, that they didn't need. God had put them in Eden. It was perfect. And, and, and it, you'd satisfied everything that their hearts needed, but the enemy was like, hey, but there's more. And let me tell you, you can have more. All you got to do is this. And they began to take charge, and they took control. And so honestly, I think Satan is still trying to do that in the gospel. And, and I think that here's the thing. We, I think it's fair to say that we want more than just a ticket to heaven, right? Like, let's just be honest. We want to experience all that God has, the abundant life that Jesus promised now. I mean, we want to start now, right? We want to experience all that God has for us, and that's good, by the way. But we want joy. We want to experience real life now. We want to experience his presence in a real way now, have his blessings and, and the favor of our Father. Like, we desire that. We desire to see God work supernaturally in our lives. But then a lot of times somebody comes on TV and we're desiring more. And he says, yeah, if you're born again Christians. He said, I understand you're saved, but if you really want to take it to the next level, I can help you. I found the secret to the Christian life. Let me show you how you can take hold of your destiny. We found the secret formula, all right, to ignite miracles in your life. So let me show you how to unlock the blessings of heaven for you. You can be wealthy, healthy, powerful. There's another whole level that we're going to take you to. We're going to show you how to get there. God's been holding out on you. And so let me show you the loophole that no one's been telling you. So if you want all of it, you got to do this. And Christianity that began by grace, suddenly, now, there's this whole other thing where you think, God's favor, his affection, his real love for you. There's a whole other kind of relationship with God for you. He only likes you a little bit. If you really want to enter into his love, just jump through these hoops. Send me some uh, money. I'll send you my paperback and show you how you can get there. Serious business. And it leads to a distortion of the gospel. Eventually, obedience, instead of becoming something we do to glorify God, becomes some sort of currency to get what we want. Obedience is a good thing. God it takes great pleasure when we obey God. But it is not a currency to trade because, honestly, it would never be enough, right? God is holy. You know, it does please God when we obey him, but we can't manipulate him. We're the ones that needed saving, right? Like, we're the ones that needed a rescue. And so, eventually, I think our faith gets distorted. Instead of trusting God, you know, just this word faith, instead of trusting God to do what he said he would do, that's biblical faith. We believe it, hear it, that God will say, I'm going to do something, and we put our faith in that, and we believe that he will do what he said he will do. And we shifted to an unbiblical faith, which is really more of just blind hope, hoping that if I hope enough, uh, and I can remove any doubt that God will meet that hope, then, then God will do what I want him to do, and I can have that whole thing. So instead of believing God will do what he says he will do, that's biblical faith. We believe God will do whatever we want him to do, and we start to get into this relationship, and we can't figure out why he won't do what we want to do. We start, instead of leaning on grace, we start relying on works, and we're like, well, what's the formula? How do I figure out a way to get God to do what I want? And so here's, here's, this, uh, here's this deal. I, I got a little illustration that I think will help us. 
I'm going to do this briefly at the beginning of the series, and, and uh, I, <laughs> I got a donut here. This is really cool. Um, <laughs> I, I meant to have a carrot, but I forgot to get my carrot, and then somebody brought me Krispy Kreme this morning, and I thought, I can relate to this. Um, <laughs> this is way better. So in the Christian life, I think there's, there's two options, and they're not all bad, okay? Don't hear the whole thing. I think there's, uh, we need to be, uh, there are blessings that God has put out in front of us, and there are, there are things that God has given us, but... I think the hybrid gospel functions, and it relies on these kind of motivations, right? It, it, it puts out this, this donut, carrot, out in front of us. And we, like a stubborn donkey, trying to do the things that we're struggling to do, the master holds out a, a Krispy Kreme or whatever out in front of us. And you're like, here's the blessing. Work for it. Go get it. And we're sitting there like. <laughs> and, and it seems like people pastors, whoever, we, we want to keep, there's a ten, there's temptation for us to want to keep moving the donut back. And every step you take closer to God, the donut moves. And we're like, we're like well, there's more blessings, just, but wait a second. Like, and it's like, work for it. All right, okay, it's coming. You know, and it's all of a sudden there's this thing of like Christianity becomes about achieving that next thing. And they're, they're trying to bait you with the blessing, but you can never actually, they never give it to you. And, and it's like, there's always more. And instead of it becoming worship, it just becomes frustrating, right? It's like, how do I, how do I, how do I get it? The whole Christian life, it's like you're, you're two inches away from finally God, from a breakthrough, right? It's not bad. It's not all bad. I'm still going to eat that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the next one, if you're the stubborn donkey and the master wants to get you to do something, he's got a carrot, but he also has a stick, right? So he can, he can kind of give you a whack, you know, in the rear end. And it kind of motivates you. Some of us need this kind of motivation from time to time. And hey, it, before you misunderstand, this is an analogy. Don't push this too far, okay? God, God does discipline his children, but he does so like a loving father. And sometimes we need to be motivated too far. But we don't rely on this. There's something better. There's something even better than the law, right? It's, it's better than this motivation. It's not that God doesn't say there's rewards. There are rewards. When you get to heaven, there's going to be rewards there. And if you participate and yield and let the Spirit of God work in you and your obedience to Him, there are blessings that you're going to get. And later in Galatians, it says that if you pursue God and sow in the Spirit, you're going to reap in the Spirit. So there are tremendous benefits to being obedient to God. I'm not trying to take that away. And there are punishments. There are discipline for even us who are God's children. God does discipline us when we're disobedient to Him. But this is how the law works. There's this constant, boom. Some of y'all, this is your whole relationship with God. All, you just see God as the master on, on, on your back, just whacking you every time you slow down. You know? And your whole life, you're just kind of getting spanked. And, and there's this tendency. Some of y'all are achievers, and you're going after the donut. And some of us are more like, how slow can I walk? <laughs> how slow can I go, right? And there's the motivation. That's the problem. Got it. All right. But the, the problem is that when, you're, when your motivation is just the stick, you're always asking, you know, we're, we're dealing with software upgrades and stuff like that, trying to get things to work. You ever read that at the bottom of the box, back when there were still boxes? You can see it says minimum requirements, minimum, like, PC requirements. Some of us, that's what we want to look at. You go through scripture looking for minimum requirements. You're like, okay, I can walk this slow, and then God won't smack me. And that's your whole motivation, right? Well, here's the problem. When, when we depend on the carrot or the stick for our motivation, we rely on the law and how those things work. And I think we really miss out. And instead of us living a life of worship, I think very often 
we end up just being really grumpy at the master, and we never end up feeling genuinely blessed. We never realize quite how loved we are, and some of us yield to walking as slow as possible, just fast enough to avoid the Spirit, and you miss out on the real thing. Now, sometimes those motivations are ones that God genuinely uses, right? But if that's the only thing at work in your life, it's not going to be enough. See, that's what he's saying. Both of those things are not quite enough. It's not the full picture of what the gospel does in us. Did God save you by your works? Is he trying to perfect your faith just by your works? Or is there something even bigger in you where it's not an external promise that's pushing you forward and it's not an external discipline that's causing you to step forward? There's something even bigger. You see, the, the gospel itself is not a carrot. It's not a stick. The picture of the gospel is actually the cross. See, here's the thing. The gospel doesn't say come and earn, show your value, prove it. The gospel says even more than that. Some of you are like, well, grace makes it easier. No, grace is even a bigger and more drastic change than that. Some of you are like, well, we're getting off easy by grace. Well, yes, but here's the thing. It's still going to call for even more out of us. The gospel says come and die. Not prove yourself, it says come and die. The gospel says don't keep the minimum requirements of the law. It says even more. It says be crucified with Christ and then raised with Christ as a new creation. You're not just chasing a carrot. You're not just dodging a stick in the master's hand. Instead, the master is in you. And he indwells you and begins to transform you from the inside out. You are indwelled by the master. Instead of is, is trying to pursue some external motivation. It's Christ who changes you from the inside out and works for his glory. And the, the distorted gospel robs you of two truths. They're very simple. And this, you already know this, but you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It says so in Ephesians chapter 1. You have every spiritual blessing now. Every spiritual blessing right now. You already have the Holy Spirit in you if you're a Christian right now. And so here's the thing. You don't need an experience in our church to know that, that this is potentially true in you, if it might be true. If you're in Christ, he is ready to move in power in your life. I can tell you that you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life and dangle the Holy Spirit's power in front of you like a carrot. And I'd probably sell some books in the meantime trying to tell you how to get it. But the deal is you already have it. You already have it. You already have every spiritual blessing. And God's ready to do miracles through you. He can do supernatural things in your life because his spirit is in you now. Now, I could set up this whole thing and say, you know, you know you're, it's going to eventually, you're saved, but you don't have power until you do this or that. I could dangle that sort of power as something to be earned. And, and again, I'd probably make some money telling you how to do it. But people constantly, I guess, uh, for the rest of your life, be telling you how you could gain some sort of miracle, gain spirit, gain power, gain control, gain blessings, just do this. And the problem is not that you don't have the spirit of God in you. You do. The problem is not that you don't have the blessing of God. You already have that. It's probably this, that you don't have faith that that's true of you. Right? Some preacher told you that you're saved, but you don't have the spirit. Or that you're saved, but God doesn't really like you or love you. Or you have to earn that. Or, and honestly, I think some of us mope around feeling ashamed and defeated 24-7. And some of us are convinced that there's no power available to you until you earn that power. And guess what? Naturally, you're not going to experience it in that way. 
Not because you haven't behaved well enough or, or you know, there's, there's some sort of thing, but there's this fear that you'll never measure, measure up to God's standard and feel nothing but shame and sadness, right? And when you bow your head to pray, that's, that's what you're experiencing. And the, the deal is that some of us are too prideful, honestly, to accept the fact that Jesus has already bought all of this for us. Now, what if you started believing today that you are fully loved by God now? What if you believe that he thinks you're amazing right now, that he has given you his full blessing right now? What if you accepted the truth that Jesus paid it all, not just a portion? What if, what if you realize that you can't do it all, that you'll all on your own, you'll never be able to? What if you realize and, and receive that God's grace has allowed your heart to honestly feel the love of God really for the first time? Honestly, I think you put your faith in Christ to let go of your shame, knowing that he's accomplished it all, and stop looking at your resume to decide if God loves you. Stop looking at your resume to decide if God can work in your life. Start work, looking at your resume to decide if God's going to do anything in you or through you. There's going to be power to change. And you're constantly looking back and see how good I am to see who's going to. And here's the deal. What if you fix your eyes, not on your resume, but on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? What if you began looking at him and saying, I want to yield to whatever you want to do in my life, knowing that I can't and that you have the power. There's freedom there. There's so much joy there. There's so much hope there. And the problem is that many of us don't believe that. Salvation, man, it's, it's incredible. And all that comes after it, it comes biblically, by biblically believing, not, not doing. That's how we receive our, our, our faith in Christ. So we don't just put our faith in Jesus, all right, and, and then shift gears later to start working it out on our own. Now, now, Jesus begins to clarify this later. He explains that, you know, it's not about us figuring stuff out by the law. We can't fulfill the law. We can't be good enough to earn all of this from him. In Matthew 5, he says that we couldn't do it. We've already broken it. We can't earn anything from God. Our behavior has already betrayed us. And so I just want to say, well, I'm a decent guy. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't murder. Well, the law doesn't say be a decent person. The law demanded perfection. And people who promote a distorted gospel have to relax the law so that we have a false sense of success. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said this. He said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is like, the law must be fulfilled every single punctuation mark. Every single one. And so, the Pharisees think they've got it all figured out, that your righteousness would need to exceed that to fulfill the entire law if you were to earn your salvation. And the law says don't commit adultery, right? But later in this chapter, Jesus says, if you have lust in your heart towards someone, that you're guilty of adultery. That's even more than what the law, grace pushes beyond the law. The law says don't murder, but Jesus even raised the bar. He said, if you're angry at your brother, even in your heart, 
you're guilty of murder. But see, we understand that we've grown it before God, and we desperately need him to save us. Jesus loves us enough to save us from our fate, and we couldn't do it, so we don't deserve it. So grace is not the ability to fulfill a relaxed, simplified uh, law. It's not, it's not law for dummies that Jesus has brought us, okay? He didn't relax the law or do away with it. He fulfilled all of it in our place by living a sinless life. And the gospel is this, that by grace through faith, you've been given Christ's righteousness as if it were your own. That is crazy to me, and it doesn't seem fair. And we push back, and we're like, well, I can earn it. I can show you that I deserve it, and eventually I can do that. But we don't put confidence in the flesh anymore when we want to see from God. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Okay, he's talking about the circumcision roots. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. So I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And Paul points to his resume of his flesh. He's like, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day. I did everything on the external that you could possibly do. And he says later in verse 8, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It is literally trash to me. It is rubbish. I count it as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And just so you don't think that it means laying on the couch by operating in faith this way, listen to what he says in verse 12. It is not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anyone is uh, thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There's another way of saying, continue in grace. Listen, this is so true, guys. The law, the law, I'm going to compare the two, the law prohibits, but grace invites and gives us freedom. The law condemns the sinner, but grace redeems the sinner. The law says do, and grace says it is done. The law says earn your forgiveness, but grace says it is finished. The law curses, but grace blesses. The law slays the sinner, yet grace makes the sinner alive. The law shuts every mouth before God, but grace opens the mouth of the people of God to praise him. The law condemns the best man, but grace saves the worst man. The law says pay what you owe, but grace says I freely forgive you all. The law says the wages of sin is death, but grace says the gift of God is eternal life. The law says the soul that sins shall die. Grace says believe and live. The law reveals sin. Grace atones for sin. The law is the knowledge of sin, but by grace we are redeemed from our sin. The law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. The law demanded obedience, but grace bestows and gives us power to obey. The law was written on stone, but grace is written on the tablets of your heart. The law was fulfilled and done away with in Christ, but grace abides 
forever. The law puts us under bondage, but grace sets us free in liberty as the sons of God. He has called us into grace, which doesn't require less of us. It actually requires more from us. It's way more. It's way more than you can do. And if you relax the law and think that you can achieve it, you're missing out and getting a hybrid gospel. Instead, receive that the only way that your life is going to be pleasing to God is through faith. And you receive that he has done it all in you. And he's provided you every spiritual blessing in Christ. That he's already given you the carrot. That you already have the blessing. He's already indwelled you. And now as a response to the incredible love and power and goodness of the grace of God, we yield our life. We are crucified with Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we begin to operate, not getting hit by the master or baited by the master, but filled by the master operating in a whole new way, doing what we desire to do, living in freedom. It feels free to do what you want to do. If you choose law, you're going to be a slave to it. But there's real joy in Christian life. There's real hope. There's fun in Christian life. It is a joyful thing to walk with Jesus, and you can have a good time doing it. But if you're fighting, trying to do it in the flesh, you're going to be miserable. And in the end, you're going to see that you're never had what it took to begin with. And at some point, you'll come to the end of yourself. And your eyes will come off the carrot. Your eyes will move from the stick. And you will see the cross. And for the first time, you'll come empty-handed. Saying, you know, I got nothing. I remember being a trade. I got nothing. And I just want to say thank you. I had an experience where I began to realize my own sinfulness. When I came to Jesus, he forgave me all my sin. And he's come in me. And he's gone back and forth. And I haven't done everything right. And I've messed up in a lot of different ways. But he's transformed me, me into the likeness of his son. Not because I have chosen to figure that out and made it happen on my own. Not because I mastered anybody's tips and techniques. But because Christ has done it in me. And the, the big thing is, you put your faith and you finally believe that he is your only hope, there is new joy and freedom in that that you have never experienced before. If Christian life for you has been about some hybrid version, you're missing out. We're not dumbing down this. We're not relaxing the law. We're not saying do less. We're not saying be lazy Christians. We're saying it's even more than you thought. And you can't get there on your own. Your checklist isn't long enough and you're not strong enough to finish it anyway. There's stuff we wouldn't even know to put on the list that God the Spirit is going to transform in our hearts. And when we begin to yield to Him and He works in us, there's a brand new joy. Listen, where is your confidence been to pursue God's best in your life? Has it been on fulfilling the law? Or has it been on the grace and mercy and goodness of Jesus Christ? You feel accepted by God when you're doing all the right things? But then you feel completely rejected and abandoned by God after you screw up, after you mess up. You feel that? Listen, grace levels out our Christian walk with him. And we understand we live in the good times and the bad times. Yes, we need correction. We need to be disciplined by the Father. But we don't walk in shame anymore. We, we are guilty sometimes. And sometimes feeling guilty is what the Holy Spirit does. But walking forever in a sense of shame and unworthiness and pitiful, blah, 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 all the time. Like, that's not what God's called us into. He's called us into a whole different kind of life, a whole different kind of joy. And listen, here's the honest truth. If you're not a Christian right now, you should have no confidence before the Lord because there's no way you can measure up. 
only Jesus can. But if you're a Christian, you can take a deep breath and trust that his righteousness and not your own. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? This is the life we get to live as Christians. It's not miserable. We don't have to walk around sad and pitiful all the time. We can be free in him. And he's given us this because of Jesus. We've been filled with a brand new master. So I, 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 guys are going to come up here. We're, we're finished here. If they're still here, where did they go? Um, anyway, what I want to give you a chance to do, just a moment, I want to respond to this truth. Because I feel like there's, there's a good chance that a lot of you guys have been struggling and fighting through this. And it's time, Jesus, finally, you've got it. You're, you're not ready. You're ready to abandon a hybrid version. You're a Christian, but you've been trying to finish for your faith in the flesh. Some of you may honestly be ready to just come before the Lord and say, I, I have been trying to trade things. I've been trying to figure it out. I've been looking at my resume to see if I can get you to do something in my life. And I'm just ready to take my eyes off of me. And I just want to put them on you and yield to you and just say, fix me. <laughs> Change me. I want to enjoy walking with you and experience your love. You, you have every spiritual blessing, blessing in Christ. You have the spirit in you. You have the blessing of a loving father. He wants to transform you. If you'll only yield to him by faith. If you would stand your feet. Let's pray together. Father, will you work in our lives? Will you set some people free this morning? Will you call people not into a lazy faith, but a brand new spirit-filled walk with you? God, I pray that your will would be done in each of our hearts right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.